Welcome back to Mortuary Mayhem, a podcast by funeral service professionals for funeral service professionals, where any day above ground is a good one. Hello, listeners, and welcome back for another episode of Mortuary Mayhem. Melissa here, and today I'm joined by Joe Reardon, Vice President of Community Development and Advanced Planning for the Cohane Funeral Group, as well as a funeral director for over 30 years. Today we're going to be discussing the big bad C word, cremation. Before we get started, I just wanted to share a few facts with you. The Cremation Association of North America is regarded as the most reliable and current source of cremation statistics in the U.S. They've been collecting data for over 20 years now. Did you know that the average percent of cremation in the U.S. was 33.8 percent in 2006? However, in 2021, it was a staggering 57.5 percent. Some states, like Nevada or Maine, saw over 80% of final dispositions being cremation in 2020 alone. Could it be because of the pandemic? Could it be a shift in culture? Could it be a financial reason? We don't know, but the Cremation Association of North America is currently predicting a cremation rate to reach 64.1% in the coming years based off of their trends. So today we're going to talk about the culture around cremation in the U.S. versus other countries and how we as funeral professionals can positively influence change as well as adapt. Joe, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Melissa, and welcome me here. It's a great honor to be on your podcast. Really appreciate it. Now, Joe, you've been doing this for over 30 years. Mm -hmm. You work behind the scenes doing pre-need. You work doing funerals. What have you seen over your years as a funeral director? When I began in funeral service in 1987 as an apprentice, I was working in a firm that served a mostly Italian and Irish Catholic community. And in that time, it was very simple. They were, in some ways, unfortunately, cookie-cutter services. People chose to have open casket visitation, They typically would have a church service. The majority of our families were Catholic, so they had a mass, and they were buried. Casket burial was by far the predominant choice. And then as time went on, it changed a little bit as cremation crept in. Unfortunately, there was a lot of ignorance about cremation, not only in the general public, but among funeral directors. And that ignorance is something that funeral service is paying the price for today because Many funeral directors are still a little bit behind the curve on cremation. And looking back 30 years ago, if we had done things a little bit differently, I think people would be more aware of all the options available to them today. So I know that personally, if I talk about, you know, final disposition with friends or family, they'll say, oh, yeah, no, I'll just do the cremation. It's faster. It's easier. It's less for you guys to have to handle. But that's not true at all. And... I'm assuming that's part of what you're talking about, how we fell behind the curve with that. What's, what do you think we could do now to help kind of inform our families about their options? Education is the key. 2016 was the first year that 
cremation surpassed burial as the predominant method of disposition. Oh, wow. And I classify disposition as immediate disposition because burial is a form of both immediate and final disposition. <laughs> cremation is a form of immediate disposition. What happens after that is of great concern and consequence for families because final disposition has to be carried out in some way, yet a lot of funeral directors today still don't address that. When someone is cremated and transferred back into the funeral home's care, they often will just arrange for transfer back to the family without speaking to the various options that are available. A lot of that is because funeral directors don't necessarily know all the options. Some of it is that some funeral directors are just tired, they're older, don't really have an affinity for cremation, and assume that many families aren't interested in anything other than to transfer the person back to their care. So that leaves a very wide gap in information because, like you said, many people here on the street, oh, it's easier, it's less expensive. There are low-budget providers who are on the radio constantly saying, just do it the inexpensive way. Save the money for your kids. Have a party. I have to be honest, no one has a party when somebody dies. But in the United States, the mentality is around that. It's largely driven by a society that's focused less on community and more on individualism. And that individual transcends death when families will come in and say, well, mom always wanted to be cremated. That's all they know. They don't know anything else, and they assume, because of the information that's out there, which is minimal, that cremation means you're cremated, and for people doing it for themselves, will often say, just throw me away. Well, we're not going to throw mom away, but that leaves families in a bind because they don't know what to do. And because there's a lack of information out there, it's incumbent on us as funeral directors, your audience, to be able to present families with the options that are available because it's a lot easier to have a wake, a mass, and a burial than it is to open the door to cremation and the myriad of options for both ceremony and final disposition. Now, you mentioned something about Sorry, I'm not great at verbatim, but you said, you know, okay, you have the cremated remains back, and then what do you do? Mm -hmm. And I personally feel like that is something that we as a culture struggle with. You have grandma sitting in an urn mm -hmm. on mom and dad's mantle, and then mom and dad move, and Graham gets packed up into a box, and then they go and sell their house, and you're unpacking things for them years later, maybe when mom and dad pass, and you're clearing out their house, and nope, oh, there's Graham. Mm -hmm. So... What is something, do you think, besides from education, do you think there's something culturally that we could do? Is, is there some way that you think we can, as funeral directors, help people embrace celebrating with cremated remains like we do with a body in front of us that's being buried? I'm not a sociologist, not an anthropologist, <laughs> but I do know that we live in a death-denying culture. Mm -hmm. It's funny, my son is 17 now, and a couple of years ago, he was really interested in getting an Xbox. My wife and I weren't really interested in him getting an Xbox, but eventually it became a social thing, and we recognized it and say, okay, why don't you get the Xbox? Well, he got the game Fortnite, and I don't know if you or your listeners are familiar with it, but I wasn't, really. I knew of it, and I knew my friends had children that would play remotely with someone in another country even. Yep. 
and they were able to interact that way, which I thought was really cool, but I just wasn't familiar with the concept of the game. So I asked my son, Jack, show me this Fortnite. Now, I sound like I'm 100 years old, this Fortnite. <laughs> but I sat down with him, and in the first two seconds, I killed like 20 people. It was crazy. You know, you're killing person after person. The whole idea is you get through this, uh, lack of a better term, level to be able to get ahead, and you're killing people in the process. So in one sense, if you take Fortnite or you take film or you take television or other media, death is all around us, and it's part of our violent, I would say, culture in some ways. At the same time, when a death occurs, people want to push it into the back room. Mm -hmm. Death is very sanitized and institutionalized here, and that is even more so with cremation. In the United States, cremation is something that's done behind closed doors. With the exception of some cultures, like the Hindu culture, most families have no idea what happens behind the doors of a crematorium. A crematory to them is a place where someone is cremated and that's all they know. In other parts of the world, it's very different. And you alluded to that in the beginning segment because you studied some of this and yeah. I know you're excited to talk about it because it is so different. Yep, and, and listeners, you can't see me, but I've got a big smile on my face because I'm going to ask her to talk specifically about one culture and what they do. And that's Japan, I bet. Yes, yeah. yes. So the Japanese culture, which is so focused on honor and respect, has an amazing approach to cremation that other cultures don't have. When a person in Japan dies, they have ceremonies for the person beforehand. There are rituals around dressing the person, religious rituals, it's beautiful. But when it comes specific to cremation, and to my knowledge, Japan is 99.999% cremation. When a person is transferred to the crematory, they've done so in procession. When they arrive at the crematory, they have a ceremony in front of the cremation chamber, the retort, as we know in the industry. At the appropriate time, the person is placed into the cremation chamber while the family's present, which to many Americans is abhorrent. They just can't yeah, believe it. Oh, it's unbelievable. But it's part of their culture. Now, the real interesting part, and the part I know you're driving at, is what happens afterward, because in Japan, there's such reverence for the body of the person that unlike here in the United States where people say just ashes and throw me away, they don't do that in Japan. Now, myself, I don't use the term ashes, and Melissa may have picked up on that over our time working together, because, and this is a great example, they're actually bone fragments of a person who existed. And we can refer to ourselves as ashes in a self-deprecating way, but we never refer to someone else in that way. And the Japanese demonstrate that because at the conclusion of the cremation process, after the person's bones have cooled, they have a unique ritual where family members gather again at the crematory and using chopsticks, and the only time they use chopsticks other than for eating is to do this, starting with the foot and working towards the head, they each take turns placing bones in a very large urn. The last bone to go in is the hyoid bone because it's the only bone in our body that's not attached to another bone. So it's very reverential, it's cultural for them, but the level of respect 
that goes along with it and the dignity that goes along with it is remarkable because we don't have that in the United States. Mm -hmm. In many ways, we have a throwaway culture. And the throwaway culture is in direct conflict with what our families feel. We feel, just throw me away. Our families don't feel that way, but there's no culture that says it's okay to feel love and feel loss when somebody's died and to honor that by honoring the dignity of the person who has died and what their remains are. Those bones are still that person in some way. And Japan is the right idea because they have that ritual and then the person's buried. So there's a place to go to, there's memorialization. That's really important because a lot of people forget about memorialization when they think about themselves. But if they want a million dollars and they had the opportunity to donate a wing to their local school, they'd want their parents' name on there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When somebody dies, it's important to have that connection. That's why we name buildings after people and streets after people and monuments like Washington, D.C. after people because that keeps that connection alive. The Japanese have the right way because they follow that all the way through. And what's interesting, too, is it's not just adults that are participating in the ceremony. It's children, too. You must have watched the YouTube videos. I did. I did. Readers, I, or readers, <laughs> listeners, I will make sure to have that linked up there. I, I do think this is a great and wonderful video. And if that's something that you do in your area of the world and you want to chime in, send us some feedback. Um, podcast at mortuarymayhem.com. We'd love to hear and share your thoughts and opinions on this and maybe examples that you have that could help other funeral directors. Um, back into what we were just saying, though. Uh, even at funerals where the body is present, I feel like children are taken out of the picture. We shelter them, we shield them from it. Um, and so I do think it's very remarkable that they have the children involved as well because that is one way of breaking down the culture around, that we have surrounding death. It's, it's starting from a young age, we're shielding children. And then as you grow up, you're not seeing death you're not seeing that you can feel these emotions you're not celebrating these people mm -hmm. and then we have adults who are saying nope just direct burial i don't want to see mom i i don't want to remember her that way which actually leads me on to something else something that you guys do in the cohen group and i don't know anywhere else that necessarily does that is um your family farewell do you want to explain that sure we're different from other providers, and you know that mm -hmm. having worked with us. Our approach to families who are choosing not to have open casket ceremonies includes the same high level of service we provide a family having open casket ceremonies. We don't differentiate the level of service just because a family is choosing one thing over another. I compare it to the restaurant industry. If someone is having the Chateaubriand, you're going to provide them the same level of service at the table as you would with someone who's going to have a piece of grilled chicken. Um, it's service. It's about service. And we provide that high level of service. Where we go over and above is the way we do care for families choosing not to have open casket ceremonies. Now, I say open casket ceremonies because this could be families, you mentioned immediate burial, mm -hmm. who are choosing to have closed casket ceremonies followed by casket burial. Doesn't matter. It's the whole idea of seeing the person and saying goodbye to them. The United States and Canada are the only cultures in the world that have divorced themselves from the presence of the deceased at the rituals. Every other culture has it there. 
And I'm going to speak a little bit more to that when, if I have the opportunity about a famous funeral in England. But when we don't have that opportunity, a couple of different things come to mind. One is, do I have a chance to say goodbye? It's very powerful. If you think about what families went through, even as recently as Vietnam, when people were killed in action and they were never recovered. Mm -hmm. You have the tombs of the unknown soldier, uh, which today through DNA we're able to identify people now. But all the family wanted to do was get them home and know that it was them. Yeah. Yet some families come in, oh, I don't want to see, I don't want to have anything to do with it. And your experience is probably the same as mine. When families do see the person say goodbye to them, they feel so much better and they're so grateful. The other part to that, too, is the fact that, no, we don't go to the crematory here. It's behind closed doors. So if someone dies at 3 o'clock in the morning, and the next time someone sees them, they're in a little box on a table, how do they know it's them? I wouldn't be too sure about it, and I wouldn't want my mother to be anonymous in that way. Am I saying that mistakes happen? Yes. Do they happen a lot? Thank God, no. But, but people remember Absolutely. It's never a problem until there is a problem. Mm -hmm. I don't care until there's a problem and then people get litigious. The Family Farewell does two things then. It allows the family to say goodbye, which is so important, which is why people want someone who's, who was drowned, for example, or who was killed overseas or something. They want that opportunity to see them and say goodbye to them, to know that it's real, it happened, and mm -hmm. to say goodbye. But the other part is functional. How do I know this is my mother? Well, we want to make sure that family is very comfortable knowing that because I would want that for my own mother. And the directors here, the team here, the Gohanes, they want the same thing. They want to know that everyone's treated with the same level of care and dignity, regardless. So this family farewell is unique to us. And families have commented so often of how much they appreciated the experience and saying goodbye and knowing that it's the correct person. So listeners, what we do here at Cohane is if you are not going to be viewed, the your loved one is bathed, dressed, features set, you are placed in your casket of choice. Um, and then the family's actually invited in to give that final farewell within within the state regulations. It, you know, there's a number of people and a number of time because of sanitation purposes. But it gives that chance if your last vision of mom was, you know, in the hospital with her hair a mess and her jaw hanging wide open, to see her in her favorite outfit that, you know, she had picked out or you had picked out for this occasion, her hair washed and clean, her mouth closed, her eyes closed, and looking peaceful and at rest. And that, I can't tell you how many families um, I've encountered that said, I, I don't want to see her like that. And I've had to explain, well, you're not going to see mom like that. You're going to see mom at rest. You're not going to see mom how you last saw her and I do think it's a good idea and then they come in and they leave and they they cannot thank you enough and they cannot stop talking about how thankful they were that they came in and did this people who are dead set on not seeing them before just so thankful that they came in and took that opportunity to 
see their parent or their loved one, whoever, one last time in, in a way that makes them feel comfortable. Oh, absolutely. And it can be a really meaningful experience, too. I love this example. I had the occasion to work with our colleague, Corinne Leary, one day. We were working with a family, and I believe, if I remember correctly, I had done some advanced planning with the woman. I, I just went down to say hello. Corinne was working with her. They were caring for her dad. And I noticed she had a Metallica tattoo on her arm. And I just brought it up in conversation. I said, oh, you like Metallica? And she's like, yeah, my dad did too. And she holds up a concert T-shirt that he was going to be wearing for the family farewell. Mm -hmm. like, oh, that's amazing. Well, when she came in for the family farewell, we had Metallica playing. Oh, that's when she came in, step. And yeah. she was thrilled. It just made her more comfortable. Mm -hmm. It was a great tribute to her dad. They shared that affinity for metal music. And it was just an emotionally cathartic time for her to have that, bring that all together. And that's the type of experience we want to create with a family. I share another example. A friend of mine lost her mom. And during the arrangements, she just happened to mention that her mom liked Jimmy Buffett. So when we had the family farewell, I didn't tell her. She didn't know. Same as Metallica. We had Jimmy Buffett playing in the background. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people will have personal items that are there as well. You've seen that. Sometimes yeah. people bring flowers. We just want to create an experience that's warm, that is loving, because that's what it's all about. People love this person. They want to say goodbye because it's really hard to separate when someone's died. And if you don't have that, you're going to find problems down the road because we saw that with the pandemic where people still are struggling because they never got the chance to say goodbye to dad because dad was in the hospital. They couldn't go, even go see him in the hospital. Mm -hmm. And after he died, because of the pandemic in the beginning, we weren't sure what was happening. And so a lot of people were nervous and they didn't want to see the person, which we could understand at that time. They were scared and they regret that now, some families. But they're struggling with it because they've never had the opportunity to go through the personal and cultural rituals that help them along the way in their lives. You know, you had said before it was cathartic for that family member, and I can't think of a more perfect word to describe a process like that. So here in Massachusetts, um, funeral homes and cemeteries and crematories, we're all separated. You can't own a crematory and a funeral home at the same time. So in other states, you may, or other countries too, you may have both options and you may do it all in one. One thing that we can do here, and we have done it recently, and you did mention it, it's, it's big in Hindu culture, is actually going and escorting uh, your loved one to the crematory. So we work closely with Blue Hills Crematorium, Braintree, Mass, and their team over there are just phenomenal. And I know when my grandfather passed, I had reached out and said, you know, I'd like to work with the funeral home to be able to go in and, and push that button and say goodbye to grandpa. And most of my family were shocked and appalled that I would ever do something like that. But my grandfather was a World War II vet. He was 101, almost 102. And I just didn't feel right the idea of him going by himself, if that makes sense. I mean, when we're at the cemetery for someone that's being interred there, we're with them. I mean, we 
we'd be doing that later when we buried him with Graham. But right there and then, I didn't want Grandpa to be alone. And some of that may have been a little selfish, but at the same time, I felt like he deserved that honor and respect. Well, I think there's two pieces to that. The selfish piece is not being selfish. It's being normal. It's loving him. Yeah, absolutely. What happens after a person dies does not affect them at all. In some faiths, they believe that prayers for them, like I happen to be Catholic, and we believe that praying for the deceased helps them. But in a temporal way, it does nothing for them. Zero. So what I want when I die does not affect me in one way, shape, or form. At the same time, you have, going back to the ignorance around cremation, you have people who are just unaware that that's even possible. So immediately their reaction, and this was your family's reaction, it sounds like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Why would you do that? And you raise a perfect analogy. It is just like going to the cemetery in that sense because that's the moment of leave-taking. Mm -hmm. That is the moment of primary leave-taking. Of course, with cremation, there's secondary leave-taking, but the primary leave-taking is cremation. That's the immediate that's method of disposition. In Europe, everybody goes to the crematory. The ceremonies are held at the crematory. And what is unique is that in the cultures, and I haven't been to every country, and I certainly haven't spoken to people from every country. I was with a family the other day who had experienced it in Germany. My greatest familiarity is with Ireland, where I was able to visit a funeral, and England because it's well documented. But in those cultures, people go to the crematorium procession as if they were going to the cemetery. And they have ceremonies as if they were at the cemetery. And at the conclusion of those ceremonies, and it can differ from place to place, I'll use Glasnevin Cemetery in Dublin in Ireland. The chapel there is set up so when a family goes in their chosen cremation, at the conclusion of the ceremonies, the lights go down and curtains close over where the person was, mimicking the lowering of the casket. That's pretty cool. In some other areas, they may have a floor that drops. People saw that with Queen Elizabeth's funeral. She was placed in her coffin on top of a device, and at the conclusion of the ceremonies, while everyone was present, she was lowered into where she was to be entombed. And the entombment occurred later, but that's how it was. And that was just like lowering a casket into a grave. So there's that leave-taking, which is so important. You know, when I was speaking earlier about approaches to these things, it's important to consider, once again, that the funerals are for the living, because one of the most famous recent funerals, other than Queen Elizabeth's in England, was Stephen Hawking's. Now, Stephen Hawking was an avowed solid atheist. Mm -hmm. He did not believe in God. His funeral was held in a church, mm -hmm. in a traditional Church of England ceremony. And people said, well, why was that? Well, his family. They're the ones who needed it. Yeah. And in his case, he was an atheist. So A, it doesn't affect him anyways. But B, he probably wouldn't care. We don't know. But he went through the entire ritual. And they had a procession to the church. They had the ceremony in the church. They had a procession from the church. Don't know what happened at the crematory, but if it was similar to what typically would happen in the British Isles, there were people there at the crematory. And then a couple of months later, I think he died in 
March, and in June, he was placed into his resting spot, and it was next to uh, Isaac Newton, and what a tremendous experience to have that final ritual, to be placed next to Isaac Newton, Sir Isaac Newton, another unbelievably renowned scientist, and have a committal ceremony again. So they had ceremonies that lasted over a couple of months. Mm -hmm. And that was all for the family, certainly. But he also was a hero to many people in the science world and people with disabilities. To be able to have that recognition was huge for all of those people. They all got something from it. I can't imagine what would happen if, God forbid, the President of the United States died and he was cremated and thrown away, as people say. Yeah. yeah. In fact, George Washington wanted a very simple funeral. Wanted no eulogies. Wanted no processions. There were parades for him, processions, we would call them now. Over 300 eulogies were offered for him. Oh, six. And this is the part that in funeral service we understand, but other people would scratch their heads. Even though he had already been buried, they erected a bear in Philadelphia, and I believe it was for two months, they had sentries posted at this bear that didn't have George Washington at it. But it replicated what would occur had he been lying in state. Amazing. He wanted none of it. Wanted none of it. But can you imagine what would have happened if people abided by that? No one's going to abide by that because they needed to express themselves. He was this general that was so to the forefront of the success of the American Revolution and then became the first president. He's just going to disappear? I think not. It's not healthy. Wouldn't be healthy for his family. Wouldn't be healthy for the country. It's important to consider that. So many people just view cremation as a way to avoid that for themselves. But I'd argue and back me up on this in your own experience, there are very few people who will, given their own choice, because a lot of people say, well, this is what mom said she wanted. Given their own choice, they would never just cremate somebody and do nothing if it was their own choice. No, because you ask them, oh, well, what do you want done? Oh, no, just, just, you know, cremate me, you know, sprinkle me out back. Oh, what about mom? No, mom's going to have a full funeral. We're going to see her. She needs to look her best. We're going to, you know, pull out all the stops. And I've gotten situations where I've looked people dead in the eye and said, well, that's very selfish. And they're... Taking it back. Oh, (laughs) and I'm old enough that I can get away with that. (laughs) But people are just blown away. Well, how can you say it? I said, well, how is that going to affect your mom? Well, she deserves it. I said, well, that's true, but how's it going to affect her? It's for you. You're doing this for you. So if you say you're going to be cremated and thrown away, who are you helping? Well, I... uh, You're not helping anybody. You're hurting people. That is the education piece that we have to get out there. We have to remind people that the funerals are for the people who are left behind. Cremation is a wonderful option with more ceremony and memorialization options and disposition options than any other form of disposition. But people don't know that. And we have to, as funeral directors, get out there and let people know what their options are. These are your options. We have a family here 
one of our colleagues lost two daughters in a matter of days. And one of his daughters had two daughters of her own. And after their mom was cremated, they asked for a small portion of her, a very fine portion. Because as you know, when people are cremated, they don't look like cigarette ash. No. Um, they're bone <laughs> fragments. When these are the very fine particles on the bottom, so we were able to set some aside. And they got tattoos. Oh, I know a few people that have done that. It's, it's really cool. Who would know that unless they didn't know that until I shared that with them? Yeah. But as funeral directors, a lot of us aren't sharing those ideas. They aren't sharing those thoughts. So people just don't know. And some of that comes back to us in the funeral profession. Like I started off, it's the big bad C word. Right. Funeral directors, in my experience, listeners, you may feel otherwise, don't like cremations. Mm -hmm. They don't. And I get that because we're losing a lot of the ceremony. But why do we have to lose the ceremony? We don't. Oh. We as funeral directors can make a cremation funeral, a funeral with cremation, just as big or as, as heartfelt as a funeral with the body present. Absolutely. There's no difference. There should be no difference, I should say it there that should. way. There yeah. should be no difference. There is, but there should be no difference. Everyone has the opportunity to create a personal meaningful experience, whether it's with cremation or with burial. They have that opportunity. But if, as funeral directors, we aren't presenting them with the options to create that, we're failing them. Mm -hmm. And I do have funeral director friends who will say, oh, Joe, I, I don't like cremation. You know, it's this, that, the other thing. And I will look at them straight in the eye and say, okay. If something happened to my mother tomorrow, or my wife, God forbid, or anybody else in my family, I would not choose cremation. That's my personal opinion. That's what works for us. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't work for any, everybody. At the same time, I'm not going to restrict somebody from choosing cremation just because it isn't my choice. And the analogy I use is a restaurant. I'm allergic to fish. But if I owned a restaurant, you'd be sure I'd put it on the menu. Exactly because there are people who love it. Because we're here to serve the many. Absolutely, but we are failing them rather than serving them if we don't provide them with the options. They need to know the options and too many of our colleagues aren't providing them with all of the options that are available to them. So it sounds like, just to wrap things up, really our opportunities are with education for both funeral directors and with the public regarding what they can do and making it just as personal and as as much of a ceremony as non-cremation ceremonies. Well, take Stephen Hawking. That was more of a ceremony than you'd have with burial. That's true. It's true. I mean, you have that. You also have the option. You have a traditional funeral with cremation after. Absolutely. So you can really do everything. Um, but even just with the direct cremations, we still have that ability to make it more. With something like a fi family farewell, with something like, you know, a service after, how, how you transfer that person back into their care if they are going to be taking the cremated remains of their loved one home. Pushing that discussion of what is happening after. One of my aunts and uncles, they said, oh, we're just going to get cremated, direct cremation. Billy will figure it out after. Well, Billy's not going to necessarily know what to do. So have that discussion with your loved ones as well. Know, know what you want, 
but also know what the ones around you want. I'd take that a step further. Maybe it is what I want, but is it what my family needs? Correct. Need is the operative word for the family. What I want, I can want, I can want all I want, but it's not going to affect me. Yeah. It is going to affect my family, and they need the opportunity to say goodbye. They need the opportunity to go through a ritual that will help them through the process. I was working with a family one day, and they were adamant that they were going to have this traditional funeral from their mother, but when I die, just cremate me and throw me away. And they kept saying it and kept saying it and kept saying it. And finally, I put my pen down. I looked at them and I said, then why are we doing this? And they were wide-eyed. What do you mean? I said, well, why are we doing this? If you don't believe in it, why are we doing it? Well, it's, it's, it's what my mother would want and it, what helps her. I said, well, it doesn't help her. Well, it's what she wanted. So she will be dead. It will not help her at all. It is for you. So if you feel this is a burden, why are you going to do it? Because it does cut both ways. Because you could have a family, a traditional family from an ethnic background that had three-day visitations. In today's day, is that appropriate? I'd argue no. But if a family decides that they want it and it works for them, that's fine. But if it's something that's been dictated by a parent, I'm going to have a three-day wait. Well, are you going to put your family through that? Really? Yeah. So it's the opposite does apply. At the end of the day, let's look at it from needs and wants and ensure that we provide all of the information like this family so they didn't want anything so they can know that there's something in between because it was an all or nothing proposition for them. And they kept saying it over and over until I had to drop the pen, like I said. And after I tried to share that it wouldn't affect mom, I stopped and I looked at this woman who was a daughter. And I said, did you go to your high school graduation? Of course I did. I said, well, why'd you go? You don't believe in ritual. Oh. What happened if you didn't go? How would your parents feel? Well, they'd be upset because it's an important moment for them. You didn't care. You would have taken your diploma and walked away. Yeah. So why'd you go? For my parents. Okay. How'd your parents felt if you eloped instead of getting married in a ceremony with a reception? Well, they'd be very angry. Of course they would. Why? Because they weren't able to participate. That was their need. Mm -hmm. Those rights, the, the ability to participate, it's, again, funerals are a social event. Yeah. Yeah, cultural, anthropological, sociological, yeah. So I think we've had a lot of good discussion today. I think we've, we've, we've talked about a lot of things that I think we do have those opportunities to grow and, and fix and work on as a culture. Um, but I think we're, you know, I think we're in a good place. I think that growth is important and opportunity is important and it's not a downside. This is something we can only get better with. So. And I think that young funeral directors like yourself and others, the people who will be listening to this podcast, are those who are going to be able to propel us into the next level. Funeral directors my age and older, unless they've already embraced cremation like we have here at Cohane, mm -hmm. they're just going to they're dwindle and die. Not. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And so it's going to be people like you 
and people in your age cohort in funeral service, or I should say experienced cohort in funeral mm -hmm. service because it is different ages, who have embraced cremation, understand that there are plenty of options, understand that these options can help families, that's what's going to change things. Cremation is not going away, but it shouldn't. It's a great option. It is, it is an yeah. unbelievably versatile option for families that they can get even more out of it for some families than casket burial. But unless people know the options, unless funeral directors embrace the options, it won't change. Thank you again, Joe, for coming today. Do you mind if I share your email if people have questions or want to reach out to you? Happy to. I can share it. It's joe, J-O-E, at cohane, K-E-O-H-A-N-E, dot com. As Melissa knows, I'm very interested in getting more ideas about how we can serve families better, particularly when it comes to cremation. So your thoughts, ideas, comments uh, would be greatly appreciated. Thank you again, Joe. And thank you, listeners. And we'll, uh, we'll talk again soon. April 19, 2023, in Bridgewater, Massachusetts, for the Funeral Service Career and Resource Fair. Booths are free for employers, vendors, and industry professionals. All are welcome to attend. You can reach us at podcast at mortuarymayhem.com for more information. Thank you for listening to this episode of Mortuary Mayhem. For links to information discussed during this episode, please visit the website at www.mortuarymayhem.com. Do you have questions, comments, suggestions for topics, or want to be a guest on the show? Email us at podcast at mortuarymayhem.com. We should do this again sometime. Mm -hmm.